Welcome to the I Forgot the Beans, Bullets, and Band-Aids podcast. I'm your host, Norm Patton. This is episode four. Four episodes in. I can't believe it either. When I first started this podcast, I really wanted a structured kind of insight to veterans and how they moved on to their new careers. I was a prior Navy career counselor, so I had an interest in how sailors do after they separate. I I used to help them separate from active duty and prepare them, and I never really got how they were doing on the other side unless I kept close contact with them, and most of them move on with their lives, and I don't hear anything back. That's how this was supposed to go. Once I started interviewing, it became apparent to me that the more I tried to control it, the less authentic it was. I started talking to various veterans and wanted to just talk to them. And what I realized was veterans have a story. It's not always a pleasant one. And even if you start talking about the pleasant parts of their story, you can tell there's more that they want to tell. So I decided to just allow it. Now, what I have here is a message from one of my followers. And he asked to be anonymous But he had some really good points, and I figured I'd talk point to point about these uh, issues, so we'll go right on in. There have been a lot of rough things going on in the world. Things that affect many, and things that only affect a few. For veterans, the one thing that should definitely affect us all is the news of one of us ending our lives. Unfortunately, it is happening extremely too often these days. Now, that was the first part of his message. What he's referring to is many of us in the CB community were just hit with the news that one of our own ended his life a few days ago. And it's different when you're on this side of the military, to be honest, than when you're on the outside. Being a civilian, you join a different brotherhood and sisterhood. While you're in, there's a mission. You have your sailors or soldiers, airmen, marines that you work next to. And you are focused on staying in the fight. When you become a civilian, I'm learning all too well that it's easy to feel forgotten. When we, when we lose one of ours that we've been keeping up with on Facebook, social media, text messaging, on this side, we don't have a Fleet Family Support Center. The VA is overrun. Most of the time, you have to go into the VA to get help. There's no hotline. There is a hotline, but I never felt that hotlines were personal enough to engage with. And they always felt like they were there to appease some other agenda. So on this side of the military, the civilian side, it feels different. So then he goes on to say, this is just an attempt to try and shed some light on the subject from a bit of a different perspective. My past has not been the hardest, but it also has not been the easiest. Serving in the military can be the best and worst times of a person's life. Luckily, most will not endure the hardships on their own. A band is formed by those you serve with. You're trained to keep an eye on those around you. If one falls, you all fall. You are also taught that vulnerability is a weakness. And that is 100% true. While you're in the military, 
you have an accountability, you have a purpose that is very clear and laid out. So what he's talking about is while you're in, you form these bonds that you never would have formed before. And you have the mission to hold it together. It's like a glue. So you don't have a lot of time to think about your own problems all the time because you can always escape. There's always a very solid escape from them. And you are taught that vulnerability is a weakness. The military all day long says, if you need help, ask for help. Let's get you some help. Let's take you out of the fight and get you there. But I can tell you firsthand, in my experience, that didn't go well. I had, when I asked for help, my command told me that when I go to Walter Reed and get help, this is from my commanding officer. When you go to Walter Reed on limited duty and get help, you need to, I can't say this enough. This is direct quotes on DDG 116. Yeah, I'm putting him on blast because what he did could have easily ended my life. I was in Maine. I was having a lot of problems. It was the worst year of my life, mentally. I had no reason for it to be the worst year of my life. But my body, my mind, had enough. As my therapist always said, my cup was now finally empty and I had nothing more to give anything else. So it was turning on me. So they sent me to a medical treatment facility specializing in behavioral health. I came back and I was on limited duty within hours. The command doesn't have a say when you go on limited duty. The Navy does. The command does not. So 10 days later, the ship is getting underway to go to Florida. I obviously can't go, so I have to drive myself down to Walter Reed. It's about a 14-hour drive from Bath, Maine. As I'm checking out of the command, I go to do my evaluation debrief, my closeout eval. And I go in there, and the CMC, the XO, the command master chief, And my division officer, who's all of 24, 25, they're sitting in that room and they had rewritten the eval that I had submitted before the closeout date. I didn't go on limited duty until after evals should have been signed and closed. They give me an eval that says the final line with proper guidance and leadership and training could one day perform at the level of a chief petty officer. Now, for anybody that's a senior non-commissioned officer, that's a death sentence for your career. You don't recover from that for at least five years. So they made sure that no matter what, I was not going to make senior chief. At the time, I didn't really care. And then the last words that the commanding officer said to me, was when you go down to Walter Reed and get help, you need to get out of the Navy so you don't do this to another command, which shows that they took it personally. The Navy takes it personally when you have mental issues. So what are your options? To get help and get out, which is exactly what I needed. And I had no fight left in me. I didn't say anything to them. There was no talk in the hallway on the outside by my peers saying, hey, you know, the CEO's an idiot or the command master chief. She's horrible. No, there was nothing. I walked out, went down, signed my orders in the admin section, and I got in the car at 3 p.m. and drove 14 hours. 
I knew I had to get in the car right then. I was supposed to say another night. But I knew that if I sat there on the ship and I didn't get in the car and start driving, that I probably was not going to make it through the night. So the Navy does not like this. I don't know if the other services are the same, but the Navy does not like you getting help. They will help you either get back in the fight or they will help you get in the Navy. There's no other options. I'm not saying that's wrong. Now, what my command leadership did was 100% horribly wrong. And had I been in a different state of mind, I could have easily seen myself ending my life that night. And I was on that path. That's why I had to drive 14 hours through the night to get home. So he goes on to say, however, these two core attitudes are conflicting. The early years of my enlistment were difficult to put it lightly. After an extremely rough childhood filled with a number of different abuses, I chose the military in search of opportunity for growth and in a weird way, redemption. Coming from an unorthodox family, the new military family seemed like it was a perfect fit. What ensued was a few of the hardest years of my life. Until I finally came to a crossroads and felt I had no other option but to try and make the pain end. Fortunately for me, it was a failed attempt and looking back, more of a cry for help. After extended evaluations, I was deemed fit for service. I returned to my command. Unfortunately, I wasn't met with support. It felt more like an enormous cold shoulder instead of receiving the, quote, support your brothers and sisters in distress, unquote, stance. I began living in the world of, quote, you are vulnerable, therefore you are weak. Having to deal with rumors and sly comments from peers and chain of command, I began to wish that I hadn't failed. My remaining years of active duty were tough, passed off to monthly visits with the civilian doctor with no true understanding of what I was dealing with. Luckily, I found something to strive to and work toward. As time went on, I learned to live for me, to push past difficulty and persevere on my own. I'm writing this from a stable point in my life. I will struggle with things each day, but at this point, I know where the darkness leads and I have no desire to ever return. I hope this doesn't sound like a complaint. I am glad I was able to deal with my demons on my own. My point is vulnerability should never be viewed as weakness. It is up to us to take care of all of our fellow service members. It is also our duty to keep up with each other, even after our service to our country is contractually over. Humans are social creatures. In a world of lightning-fast communication and countless hours of scrolling timelines, take a few minutes to see how one another is doing. Don't wait until you notice the subtle signs. The, if you need help, ask posts are nice and all, but they are in vain if you aren't checking in on one another from time to time. For the ones dealing with pain, I take a deep breath. Understand that with each day of pain, there are three days of life worth living. Take them as they come. There is no such thing as smooth sailing. But after each storm, reflect on the growth you have made and enjoy life that much more. I would have loved to have had this guy say this on his own. But after what I've told you and after what he just shared, can you blame him? Do we really care? 
Is it just meaningless words when we say, hey, I'm here for you? Or do we really mean it? So the next time you say, hey, I'm here for you, mean it. There are people there for you. And if somebody calls on you having a hard time, you better take it seriously. That doesn't mean anytime somebody says I'm having a bad day that you need to overreact. But sit down, put down your phone, and talk to them. See if there's more to it. I always said those that are willing to end their lives are very clear-headed. Probably more clear-headed than they've ever been in their life. They've made a decision. They stick with it. They know how to get around your probing questions. So as they know how to get around your probing questions and they know how to say things that will make you not react, take time to learn about your fellow veterans, friends, family, and learn when they're hiding something. It hurts when we lose somebody we love or care about deeply. We feel that we should have done something that will always be there. But I challenge you, if you can sit there and say you did everything you could and you paid attention to your close friends and not just have acquaintances, if you took that time, then you have nothing to be guilty about. And if you are having a hard time, we are here for you. There is nothing wrong with asking. In the military, I get it. I get why you don't want to ask. I really do. And congratulations to those that made it out alive, because I'll tell you, anybody who hasn't served, it's not always the easiest. Those that look like they're doing the best could be having the worst problems. I was an early promote sailor, meaning that every one of my evals that I ever had was top of the line until my last one. And somehow, in their eyes, I failed completely, and they punished me for it. So don't think that the best sailors or the best soldiers or the best airmen, coast guardsmen, marines don't need help. Today's guest is Tad LeVan, who really surprised me with this one. More surprised me that he was able to watch his mouth and not curse as much as he normally does. But I found out as the conversation went on, he had something to say. And I think you all will really get something substantial out of it i got the veteran collective guys talking shit right now on messenger so i'm just swiping them out uh what are you drinking oh bush bush like, yeah like good good american beer bush. <laughs> you know like you know when you're a dad and a navy dependent husband you know that's about what you get yeah so <laughs> you're a navy dependent husband yeah, dude, I, w- I went. I went from I went from uh, active duty to a uh, Navy spouse. I'm a chief's husband, so yeah. Big, do, big, do I know her? No, no. We met no. out here, met out here at uh, at Dev Group, and so what does she do? She's an IS. She's an IS. Oh. She's with EOD right now. That's my favorite rate right in the Navy. <laughs> That's so cool. They picked up rank pretty quick. I mean, I, th- I think she made first when I, you know, like right after I made second. So we're <laughs> she made what? chief. She made chief when, you know, because I, I did nine years active, and 
Uh, I think she made. I think she made chief at like nine, nine and a half. So it took me about ten years, almost ten years, because I started over. So yeah, I went but from the air force. I think we had a better time. You have a better time being a CB. You know, you don't care oh, about. Yeah. It. I had to convert to NC to make first class. I wasn't ever going to do it as an EO. Oh, I never knew you cross rated. Yeah, I cross rated in 2013. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, but it, we went. Uh, six cycles and they made three first classes so yeah i yeah i know i i didn't want to be an nc i wanted to be an eo but i wanted to also make money <laughs> yeah uh what was um what was your job in the navy i was cm how'd you I, like that loved it yeah loved it paid off you know i got to work with some of the best guys in the in the navy and learn all sorts of stuff and you know, play with heavy equipment all day. The best, uh, the best EOs that I knew were CMs. Two chat, you know, me and Two Chat were the ones that were always teaching the new kids how to drive tractor trailers and operate equipment. And I think I spent more time operating and driving than I did fixing. You still got a truck with two big old stacks on it? I never had stacks. Didn't that you? That, two Chat had the stacks. So he's the one that you all put confetti in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I got a lot of hate mail for that because I post on YouTube and I got <laughs> death threats from across the country, man. You don't do that to a 5'9 Cummins, apparently. <laughs> Dude, that thing lit off, though. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I still got the video somewhere. Oh. Yeah, well, you took it off YouTube? It got deleted because all the... Uh, because all the... the <laughs> you know, the, the flags and stuff, man, like those diehard Americans, they love that five, nine Cummins and you don't do that. Well, if it's built right, it can handle it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Bag of confetti. It should. <laughs> that was pretty good. So when did you join the military? Uh, Oh, three. Oh, three. Yeah. Straight out of high school or yeah. what made you want to do that? Um, I went to uh I went to a really good high school. I went to a private Christian high school and it was uh you know they they were pushing me to go to college and you know I I barely made it through high school. You know, I couldn't I, I wasn't going to waste my mom's money, you know, just to drop out or fail out. So I came from a navy family and my grandfather was a uh he was a UT in NMCB3 back in the Korean War and I was like, you know what, that, that's what I want to do. And my recruiter's like, you know, you, you guys get to go on uh, camping trips all the time. And, you know, <laughs> I was a Boy Scout. I'm like, hell yeah. You know, like, I, I think it was, I think it was like 12 days after, after I graduated high school, I was in boot camp. All right. Where, uh, where'd you grow up? Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. Uh, it's about... I don't know, about two and a half hours away from me right now. You said your grandfather was a UT? Yeah. And that's in the Korean War. That's that's in our glory days. It, well, yeah. That's when yeah. the CBs are really doing, like, God's work. Yeah, real work. They, they were actually doing the fighting stuff. and Yeah. Yeah, they, they uh, I never met him, so. Oh, yeah, my yeah. grandfather, he was in, uh, he was in the Corps of Engineers in the Army, uh, back in World War Two, so uh, that's kind of what pushed me towards the CBs was like yeah. having. I I didn't know my grandfather. He died when I was eight, but 
like just knowing that that was something he did made me kind of want to go towards the CBs too. Yeah. 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 And the Corps of Engineers is not what it was in World War II either. So. Yeah. I just want, I just wanted to do something. I just wanted to get out of Charlottesville and, you know, because I was scared. I was scared what was going to happen. All my friends were going to go to college and I didn't want to be that guy that just hung out in my hometown and, you know, the, the peaked in high school guy. Join the CBs as a CM. Is that, is that what you want to do or just pick any rate? No, I wanted to be a mechanic. Um, okay. You know, I, I was always into, you know, I was always a gearhead. You know, I was always yeah. trying, you know, trying to build something or make something go faster. And, you know, so I went to, you know, I went to boot camp and, you know, got shit on because I was going to be a CB, you know, not being a fleet rate. You know, they, they didn't like us too much. And, um, you know, get out of there, you know, go to a school and, uh, you know, graduate and like, Hey, you're going to NMCV three. And I get over there and, you know, back in, back in Oh three, you had the guys that joined in the late nineties and those guys were real hard asses. And if you had thin skin, you weren't going to survive. Well, yeah. those are the guys that chose military over prison. Oh yeah. I mean, they were, they were brutal. Um, you know, some, some of the, some of the hardest guys I ever met. And, you know, we, uh, went to three and then a couple of months later, we, we deployed to Guam and I was 18 years old. I went to Guam and I swear that's where, that's where I learned how to drink. And that's where I learned how to survive. And, you know, they, 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 these guys would push you to a limit, but they wouldn't let you fall. You know, got in some trouble in Guam, but, you know, it was covered up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think my punishment was waxing buses and dump trucks. Yeah. You know, with a hangover in the heat of Guam. So, yeah, I never, I never, uh, I never drank on a duty night again after that. Yeah, that's one of the things that when I when I converted over to Navy counselor and on the fleet side, I just realized like there there's nothing out there in the Navy that's like the CBs as far as camaraderie and helping each other out. Like, yeah, like when uh, before they said everybody can wear gold, you know, um, yeah, you respect like, like nobody, nobody wore the red stripes in shame like it was like oh yeah you got a story <laughs> yeah i had this one buddy he uh he didn't he was a, a chief and he didn't want to have a retirement ceremony because his stripes are red and yes. he's on the fleet side and i'm like no nope. I, I don't know how many i went to where their stripes were red <laughs> yeah yeah but it's a story and they all learn from it. And that's the thing. The only time that the CBs ever really turn their backs on you is if you refuse to learn from your mistakes. So yeah, I, I screwed up. I screwed up a lot in battalion. You know, I, I never got away with it, but you know, I never really, you know, got the whole 45, 45 half months pay times too. I got, I, I paid my dues for it, but yeah, I filled more than a few sandbags on fexes and oh my gosh the field exercises are camping trips um yeah, so camp. you went to deb yeah those are the camping trips that you were famously yep. told about i'm sure they were fun. um i miss it i i 
It's it's weird. Like I remember being in fact. What's that? It was a life experience. But I remember being in Fex's like field exercise, realizing how much it sucked, but knowing that I was gonna miss it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean like, nobody else is doing this. I'll put it this way, like if it wasn't for battalion, I wouldn't have ninety-five percent of the stories I have. No. Mainly, mainly about the people. Mainly about the people you meet. And that's that's the truth, because uh, on the fleet side, I have I have just, just as much time on the fleet side as I do now in the CBs. But when someone asks me for, like, when they're talking about my time, I'm like, I always default back to the CB time, because in that period of time, I've got three times as many experiences that are more memorable. On the fleet side, it was all just... It's almost mundane to where, all right, today we're doing this. We did the same thing yesterday, and then tomorrow we're doing it, and maybe something will happen, but probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, I didn't have a chance to roll a bulldozer in the, uh, in the, in the fleet side. Yeah. But one funny thing, though, is uh, when I got to the air wing here in uh, Patuxent River, they didn't have anybody to drive tractor trailers on the flight line and drive them to the different bases around here. So somebody found my licenses. Yeah. Somebody found out. So I, uh, I went through my box and I was like, Oh, it's expired. So I called up, uh, Mike Lucart. I was like, Hey man, you're still the license examiner, right? I'm giving you a new license. <laughs> and I'm driving it. And then finally the command actually was like, why is NC one driving? And we have nobody else with a license. And I'm like, how's the CV dude. Yeah. And then I got on the, I got on my first ship, and I built a whole licensing program for the ship, so the supply could have forklift licenses, tractor trailers, because they would pull into all these ports, and unless they were pulling into Guam, where the Seabees were, they had nobody to offload their stuff. So, yeah, again, NCs. So Seabees never leave you. You're always a Seabee. Damn right. Yeah. So uh, you went to Dev Group. Dev Group's got to be pretty cool stories, huh? Dev Group's Dev Group, man. Um, it was an experience. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of special things you can do there, but you work your ass off. Yeah, you work your ass off. You're gone. I mean, just not just not with uh, you know going overseas. I mean, when when you're home, you're constantly gone on trips. Uh, you know, for training for yourself or you're supporting training for, you know, the team guys or, you know, you're, you're just gone all the time. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I was there, I was there like three and a half years and, um, I got in a little bit of trouble and I got removed. I got removed for a year. And, uh, you know, within that year, that's when I got hit with the ERB so I couldn't, I couldn't go back. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I got a DUI and, you know, instead of like, instead of getting busted down and all that, they're like, oh, we're just going to remove you from the command, which is uh, a bigger punishment than getting busted yeah. down and throwing, throwing half of your paycheck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, how'd you recover from that? You know, it, it took a little bit of time to, uh, you know, to, you know, to clean up those ends and, you know, I mean, I, I never denied, I, you know, when, when I got it, man, I was, 
you know, I was honest, like, Hey, you know, I did it. I know I'm in trouble, you know? So like all the ass chewing and stuff, you know, they had to happen, but, um, you know, they, they were really pointless. I knew what I did. I owned it, you know? So, so when I did go to masks, I mean, I, you know, I, I walked away with my rank and my paycheck and stuff, but you know, they, they removed me from the command for one year and, you know, I ended up going to, uh, went over to little Creek and, you know, tried to ride that year out and the ERB hit. And that's what took me down. And I tried to, you know, I tried to put a waiver in to try to come back to damn neck and, you know, it, it didn't work out. And, um, you know, I was upset about it, but I didn't let it, I didn't let it beat me down. So, so what, what were your deployment? What's your deployment history? So we did, we did Guam. That was the 04, 05 we did. 05 was main body. 05 was main body Iraq. The six, I went to Guam, Iraq. Because I know in 07, you guys, 06 and 07, you guys went to Oki, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I never went to Oki. I did San Clemente. And then 08, back to Iraq. You know, with Dev Group, it was all it was all Afghanistan. Okay. All right. After Damn Neck, you got out of the Navy. Got out. What What happened? What's the I story of... Um, I took a break. I took like 10 months off. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I could get a job as a mechanic, but I didn't want to be a mechanic. So uh, I decided I was going to go to commercial dive school. So Were you when, married at that time? Uh, yeah, we got married in 11 and I got out in June of 12. Okay. So we, we, were, we were married a year. And, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't have any kids and so I, I got out, took a break, and um, I went to commercial dive school, thinking I wanted to wanted to dive and realize that there's there's really no money in it. There's a lot of money in diving if you're single and you want to go offshore and be away from your family and stuff. Yeah, you'll make that six figures that they tell you you will. But so I graduated from that school, you know, applied for some dive jobs around here and. You know, didn't get them. Um, got accepted to the Virginia Beach Fire Academy. Uh, my wife got pregnant. You know, at that point, I was like, you know, I got to find a job. And um, I wasn't going to class up with the Fire Academy until I think it was like eight or eight or ten months. You know, I found a job and I worked for a, uh, a local marine contractor as a mechanic. Um, you know, paid pretty well, but you know, a lot of work, lots of overtime and, you know, playing with cranes, didn't like it. You pretty much had to be a felon to work there. <laughs> and, uh, and I went to Caterpillar. I worked for Caterpillar for four years. You know, it was hard. It was hard with the amount of overtime and I was going to college and then two small kids, you know, working 10 hours a day, plus Saturdays, sometimes Sundays, and my wife being active duty. So I had to find something else. And uh, I went to NAVFAC. I've been there for been there for four years. I'm doing cranes, um, yeah. certified cranes. So, so that's yeah. one of the things that um, put my career counseling hat on. That's one of the things a lot of people don't realize with veterans afterwards. It's like, yeah, we get college we get you know 
E5BAH, and we have all these things. Yeah. But we also come out of the military with families and like, like responsibilities. Yeah. Like we're not 18. An 18 year old getting a GI Bill would be amazing, but yeah, you gotta you gotta juggle that. So how how uh, how helpful no, is? I got no slack for it. You know, I, I, I got no slack for saying, hey, I can't work overtime tonight because I have two small kids and I'm in college. It's like, well, if you want to keep this job, you're going to work. Like, yeah. Okay. You know, and I'm, I'm not the most PC guy. So, you know, I tell them to fuck off. And, you know, I was in I was in the in the boss's office quite a bit. And I was like, you know, I need to I need to find something more consistent, something I can balance better. And, you know, my at the time, my wife's career was uh taken off and you know I, I needed to be home i needed to you know have a set schedule and you know, i found something easy and have there been any veteran programs that you've used or anything or have you just winged it on your own i, I mean i just i just pretty much winged it and figured it out on my own because there wasn't you know there, there wasn't a whole lot of resources when I got out, I mean, TAPS class, you know, only gave you so much information and, you know, me and me and two chat and Overholzer, we all got out around, you know, probably within a year of each other. And like, well, what are you doing? And like, you know, we're trying to figure it out, you know, cause we, I couldn't go to school full time. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I didn't have that luxury. I had to work, you know, yeah. and, you know, do online school and, you know, pretty much be here and take care of the kids or, you know, at least try and do my schoolwork after they went to bed. So. So are you, uh, are you going to go back to school or are you still trying well, on and off? Or? I got screwed over once again by the whole, uh, the whole ITT thing, man. I graduated with my associates from ITT and they went out of business and I've gone back to, I've, I've applied for other schools to try to get my bachelor's and they just won't, they won't take the credits from ITT. I have to start all over again. Yeah, that's one thing a lot of people don't realize. You got to go with that regional accreditation. Yeah, well, I, I mean, at the time, at the time, ITT was a good school. You know, I, I planned on getting my associates and taking a couple months off and then get my bachelor's and bam, man, they were out of business. So that's something that the Air Force actually did really well was they started that Community College of the Air Force you get your associate's degree basically by just doing your job. Yeah. And I haven't figured out why the Navy doesn't do something like that. Like, well, I mean, they, they got like the U S maps program and you know, one, one of the things I wish I would have taken more advantage of was the, uh, NC pace courses. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I didn't find out about those until I went to dev group, you know, I, they told me about, I'm like, what the hell are those? And they're like, you can do college while you're deployed. I'm like, hell yeah. But I wish I would have done more. Well, the hard part about the NC Pace is it's fleet based. So it's designed to be done on ships. And like I on the second Africa deployment, I was the I was the administrator for that whole debt. And nobody deploys like CVs. We yeah. go it'd be great if we were all in Spain, if we were all in one base in Ramadi, but yeah, 14 hours a day, easily. Yeah. And we go to, like, main body only has, like, 10% of the people, and the rest are spread across 20 debts. Yeah. So, how it, it was a challenge. Like, we did it in the bees. Um, 
but I probably didn't hear about it until 2010. And it was such a pain, like getting all the debts to get their stuff in on time. And the, uh, the colleges wouldn't really, uh, work with us enough. So it's, it sucks for the CVs, man. They get the short end of the stick because we don't just deploy on a ship where, you know, I'm not saying anything against ship deployments, but they go and deploy and they're still in a big floating office space. Whereas yeah. we deploy and like, yeah, and when I was in Afghanistan. Nothing. Yeah, say that again. We're in the middle of nowhere and we have nothing. Yeah, I went to uh, my first uh, my first Afghan deployment. Um I went, I was on Waterwell. We were living in a tent. And for 13 weeks, you know, we had like one hour of computer a day in the command tent because our generator didn't have fuel. So it's, we, we were in the middle of nowhere. Like nobody knew, nobody in, in Leatherneck knew where we were even. So, so like, it's kind of it's kind of rough because I hear a lot of civilian chatter where they're saying our benefits are well like you know we get so many benefits while we're in and it's like not all it's not cookie cutter man not all of us so yeah it's uh, like, you know if you if you walk out of the CVs you know with it with a bachelor's degree I think you did pretty well I think that you didn't do your job I'm sorry <laughs> well I mean you know that they, they they probably sucked up that shore duty and. You know, no. but I, I never wanted to go shore duty. I always wanted to stay sea duty and, Same. Just, you know, stay on the move. I only did one shore duty my whole tour or my whole time in the military. And uh, God, it was it was so horrible. I was I had so little to do. I did nothing. <laughs> and uh, so I remember when I was converting over to NC, you probably you never met her, but the the NCC we finally got an NC that was worth something, um, and she I was shadowing her. It was Fawn Brickman, and uh, she was always there so late every night, and I never knew when I could leave, so I'd sit there and be. Like, all right, well, when is she going to leave? And so one day she just goes, why are you here till like 536 every night? And I'm like, well, I just don't know if you need anything. She's like, I started doing college at like 330. I'm here doing college. Go home. And I'm like, oh, that's how they do it. <laughs> that, that's all you can do. You can't. I go to the fleet side and you'll have people doing college from like noon to, you know, 1600. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't work where we're from. So nope. I always had a hard time with college, but uh, just because I, I value experience and, and I, CBs do, too. You, you don't have to be the smartest, but you have to be there and you have yeah. to work. And, you know, I was always anti, you know, school and college and stuff. And, you know, I, I finally buckled down when I got out. and I was like, you know, if I'm going to survive this, I need something you know, I, I did it. You know, associate's degree has paid off, and yeah, good right now. But you know, I, I don't know how much further I'll move up in the government. But I don't want to get too involved in the, you know, in NAVFAC business lines and stuff. You know, the thing is, is I was complaining about college for years and years and years, and then I realized that regardless of how many people agreed with me, 
that college was stupid, nobody cared. Yeah. And you had to do it. Well, that's how it is. So I got to go to college. So, you know, I, 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 I tell guys that are still in, you know, like use your TA, you know, if you can do NC pace, do that, you know, yeah. and you, yeah, Bill, you know, have something when you get out. Yeah, you know? that's one thing that I'm running into now is like I have an associate's, but it's in applied science and I don't have any skill sets in applied science. Yeah. <laughs> I went to college after I got out, man, because I, I honestly screwed around too much in the nine years I was active. I was I was too busy you know, on the, on the time that we did have off, I was too busy drinking with everybody. And, you know, I didn't, last thing I want to do is open up a book. Yeah. Do you do any, uh, veteran service organizations or anything? So we, uh, so I'm, I'm the one that started the veteran collective a couple of years ago. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I'm on that page. Yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we started that. Has it been three, four years, maybe? We've been 2017, so yeah, we're coming up on three years. I think uh, whenever uh, Marco left us. Uh, R.I.P., man. That would have been, what, uh, 17? So like he like August of 17, does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, because... Exactly uh, right. Because uh, I had a buddy of mine. He was a... Uh, reservist cb real close friend of mine and uh i met him through my wife's cousin they were dating and you know we just hit it off man we had that brotherhood we're cbs and um you know they broke up but you know him and i stayed tight and uh he committed suicide uh christmas day of 2016 and you know it, it broke me and then you know, I came up with this idea in my head. And I never really told anybody. And, you know, when, when Marco. That hit hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, we started talking about it and, uh, you know, I, I told to Chad, I was like, Hey man, I I've had this idea. I don't know what to do with it. And, you know, so we, we just kind of, we kind of built that Facebook group and, you know, about three days and we're like, we looked it over and we're like, all right. Um, you know, I think we're ready to launch it. And I mean, it took off. It took off. It like, did. I think, I think the first like 72 hours, we had like 4,000 members and we're like, holy shit, man, this is going to get, this is going to get bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, but you know, the idea behind it was we don't want to be one of these funny veteran pages. There's plenty of them. We don't make t-shirts, you know, we're, we're just dudes that are hanging out. We're at home. And if you need to call somebody, we're here, you know, cause I'm sick of losing my friends, dude. Yeah. And you know, it's, you know, we put our information out there, you know, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, how many guys, but I mean, we, we got guys that will message us and be like, Hey, you know, can, can you call, can I call you tonight? It's like, absolutely. Yeah. You know, wake me up in the middle of night. Um, that's what we did with it. We had, uh, we had some bigger plans with it, trying to do a, uh, you know, trying to do a full blown web page with a forum and stuff. But, um, you know, the Facebook thing works and keep it easy. 
yeah, I mean, that that's what it is. And it's not going going bigger and, you know, we're not promoting things and, you know, we're keeping it strictly as like a, uh, like a veteran support network. That, that was what we wanted. One of the things though, it, it's really funny that you two shot two chat and Oberholzer. Anybody who served with you, you guys were the, even Marco and like you guys had the crudest sense class, of humor. Class clowns. Yeah. But you guys always like the roughest, <laughs> meanest guys in Alpha Company, but everybody always knew they'd come talk to you for, for serious issues. Oh, and that's yeah. What was, yeah. And that's what it really surprised me because I wasn't really all that close with uh, Oberholzer or uh, Two Chop, but now Oberholzer, he messages me all the time about yeah. just whatever's on his brain and i think that ever since ever since marco man that just hit everybody hard because nobody i would i talked to marco like the month before and he it, it it sucks because i was there at the same time mentally and it's um you know if if some veteran says that you know they got out of military and they never went through a depression phase i'm gonna call bullshit yeah, I'm gonna call bullshit because it, it it doesn't hit you right away. So you know, if if somebody tells me like you know they were in the military and they got out and everything was fine, they never went through the depression phase, man, bullshit. Kiss my ass. You know, I, I think mine hit me probably after a year. You know, dude, it was it was brutal. Um, you know, just just caused a lot of drinking. Yeah, a lot of uh. You know, just confiding in myself. And it, you know, it, it hit me one because uh, I didn't have that brotherhood, that camaraderie anymore. You know, working, you know, working civilian jobs, man, they, they don't care. Um, you don't, you know, and a, a lot of uh, civilian employees, man, they don't have the integrity like we had. And you can't lean on them. And, uh you know, a lot of my buddies I was at a dev group with, they they started getting orders and they were transferring out of the area. And, you know, I, I just, I was empty. And at the same time, I had moved out in the country a little ways. And, you know, and that, that really showed who my friends were. You know, who's going to come see me because it's a 45-minute drive out here from Virginia Beach. And... You know, there are a few guys that, you know, would come out and say hi and hang out and drink beer. And, but, you know, it's just once everybody kind of went away, you know, I didn't have anybody. And the only, the, the only thing I could do is, you know, drink. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot more than you should. For the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. I mean, you know, I'm ignoring, I'm ignoring my wife, my kids, you know, just to get away and be by myself. And, you know, it wasn't right. And, you know, I went to counseling and I'd go counseling for a little bit and be like, oh, I'm okay. And I wouldn't go back. And then a year later, I'm going back. Like I feel where, empty. Where were you going to counseling at? So like I was going to like the vet center, um, 
I was seeing like a social worker and you know, what really pissed me off with them was they put me into a group and I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand listening to these guys that were, you know, pissing and moaning about, you know, their regular, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but their regular fleet jobs and I'm, I'm like the only one in there that's been on combat deployments. And I'm like, you know, if, if, if that's the biggest thing you have going on in your life, man, you're good. But it hits everybody differently, you know. Um, it, it, stresses. Does, it does. It does. And, you know, I've, I've under, I understand that better now. But um, it's almost like you wish they'd put you in groups with other combat vets. Like, that's what I would have preferred was... Don't put me in a if I'm having if I'm having alcohol problems, don't put me in a marijuana abuse group. Like yeah. you know what I mean? But I don't I don't think it was I don't really, you know, you know, think it was more of an alcohol problem. I think it was just like I was just drinking a lot because I No, had what I was saying was oh, like yeah. if you compare the two, like don't put me into a counseling session with people Yeah, I got you. Yeah, you know, and I got I got tired of it, and I left, and um, I ended up finding you know some other counselors, and you know I'd, I'd go for a couple months, and you know, you know, hey, see, I, I'll see you later, and then a year later, I'm back, and so uh, what are you going to do now? I'm done. I'm not going to counseling. Um, you know, I I did like a probably. Like a, like two years ago, you know, I, I went like consecutively for like a year and I, I had quit drinking for a while. And, you know, I just I just had to get I just had to get my head aligned and know that, you know, I, I quit drinking for a couple months and just, you know, realize I, I don't have to use alcohol as a dependence, uh, you know, as a crutch. I can kind of, uh, you know. I, I can drink responsibly now, but, you know, I, I don't need it to suppress my feelings. Yeah, you know? so you look like you're doing pretty well. That's a pretty awesome shop. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all right. I'm, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. It's been here for, like, four years, and I'm, I need to finish, it, like, insulating and stuff, but. Uh, so is that taking on some of your uh, therapy, like, projects? You know, uh you know the the bad thing about it, man, was it 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 it, it even gave me more of an uh, of an escape. It gave me yeah. a place escape from reality, and you know, um, so I just step away from it for a little while and just kind of put everything on the side and uh, just you know realize that. You know, because it would be like, oh, I'm I'm going to go out and work on some motorcycles and stuff, and it would just turn into you know, a couple hours of drinking and, and, you know, it's not healthy. And, you know, you got, you got to balance everything. And tell me a little bit more about veteran collective for our listeners. So like the, the veteran collective is just, just a support group. You know, we, you know, we have fun with it. You know, Luke does his, uh, his safety briefs. You know, and he keeps those funny, but, you know, out of all seriousness, I mean, we're just, we're there for everybody. And, 
I don't know. I don't know how many people we have. I think last time I checked, we, we were somewhere around 9,600. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Um, but it's, you know, it's all branches. Uh, so, you know, usually when somebody gets on there and says they have an issue, um, you know, by the, by the time I see it, man, we have, you know, that there's, there's dozens of responses already and people offering to, you know, talk to somebody or, you know, po- point them in the right direction. That's what we wanted. It's a powerful site. Uh, I like, I have a hard time reaching out. Um, but this is, this is like my therapy right now. So I got tired yeah. of therapists and all they want to do is just throw medication at me, which yeah. just, it solves one problem, but it usually creates another one. I never took it, man. I, I would never, I, I would never, you know, give them the opportunity to say, "Hey, I, you, you need to take this." Like, no, I yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't do it. So the, the the online sources are there, like public service announcement. Don't kill yourself, man. <laughs> like. One of the things that that actually kind of hit me smack in the face when when Marco passed was, yeah, I was there mentally. I had just gone through a divorce. Um, I was living in a in a camper, you know. I, I didn't have any money. I couldn't. I wasn't with my kids every night, and uh, not even my dogs. And one of the things that I realized, like it, 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 it kind of saved me in a way. Is when you commit suicide, it, your suffering might be over, but nobody ever recovers from that. I don't know if I'll ever recover from our his 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 no. memory pops up on the anniversary every year, and it floors me every year, man. It's I mean, it's you, you add a lot of pain to your friends and stuff, and. You know, and I, I think one of the hardest things is, uh, you know, to pick up the phone or reach out and be vulnerable. You know, when 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 my buddy Michael did it, he had sent me a text that day. And I missed. I missed what he was saying. And by the time it really got through my head, it was too late. And by the time I reacted to it, it was, it was too late, you know, cause you know, at the time I had, he had sent me a text like earlier in the morning, you know, Christmas day or Christmas Eve. And was like, Hey, thanks for, thanks for making me part of the family. I was like, you know, no problem, man. And then all of a sudden, like, things got weird. I got a bunch of text messages like, hey, have you heard from him? Like, no. Like, he's not answering his phone. And, you know, by the time I called 911, man, it was too late. It was too late. And, you know, I had to grieve with that. And I had to get over it, you know, because I had, like, you know, survivor's guilt. You know, like, why wasn't I there? Why couldn't? Why didn't I react? You know, a lot of why not questions. And, you know, I, I talked with people about it and, you know, it was, he was already in that mindset. He was already dedicated to doing this and, 
you know, it was, it was brutal. And then, you know, I, I, I was getting over that and then, you know, Marco and I was like, man, and then, you know, not too, not too long after Marco, one of the, one of the team guys I worked with at dev group did the same thing, man. And, and it's like, you know, we, I'd like to say we can be a hundred percent effective at stopping this, but you know, in reality you're not, but, um, you know, we just want to give, we just want to be an outlet for somebody. Yeah. And it's, it's always, you know, seems to me, it's always the guys that, and, and girls, but it, it's definitely a military. It's definitely higher amongst guys. Um, Oh yeah, yeah. They're always the toughest and and funnest, and I I think they get to a point where you put them on a pedestal, and they they are afraid that if they show weakness, you're they're going to come off that pedestal. Because oh, I can't no. tell you, I can't tell you. Of, of, I mean, I've I've had many many coworkers, uh, you know, service members in the military over the years commit suicide and it, and it, it just floors me because i'm like i literally just spoke to them like and they are nobody ever had anything bad to say about them yeah. it's not the mopey person who's walking around that that you're worried about it's the the one who's afraid to fall yeah and you know and it, it, was, it was with michael you know looking back over it um you know i i saw the signs and you know i at the time i didn't think anything of them but now it's like man you know i there's there's things that maybe i could have done differently but but you also have to realize the ones closest to you know how to circumvent you and you know they you know, know how to say things the right way to where you won't react. And yeah. it's there. Nobody is ever more. I'm convinced nobody is ever more clear headed and methodical as the moments before they decide to do it because they know I don't want anybody to stop me. And that's really sad because all we want to do is stop them. And, yeah. and that I appreciate you coming on and talking about that. And that's uh, I'm I'm an open book. I'm not scared of it. You know why? Because I've been there. I mean, like 2018 was probably the worst year of my life. And uh, you know, like everything I had going for me was like going south. And um, you know, if it wasn't for me, you know, reaching out to my friends and being honest with my friends and stuff, um you know, to pick me up and just, you know, talk to me, you know, because I, I think, you know, you know, when, when you get depressed, man, you just, you self isolate and you, you block out all reality. And, um, you know, luckily, luckily what I did with the veteran collective is we have like, I think we have 10 guys on the admin side and we have our own little private Facebook group and, you know, I talked to those guys and, you know, that that's what really, you know, having that support network is what, you know, kept me going, kept me. 
I want to say it kept me alive, but it kept me it kept me going. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad I'm here. I was I was not, you know, I was I own plenty of guns, man. You know, it could have been easy, but I'm not one to give up that quick. Um, No, definitely not. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm not weak. I have weak moments, but, um, you know, I think it's just, I think it's like, I'm just, I'm just scared of not being part of tomorrow, man. You know, I want to, you know, if, you know, I wake up every day, man, it's like, you know, if the sun's shining, I got air in my lugs, dude. I'm a happy guy. Um, I don't, I don't need a whole lot, you know, and at the end of a, at the end of an honest day's work, man, if I have a cold beer, I'm happy, you know, you know, the kids and stuff, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, but, you know, I, I think, you know, a, a lot of people probably, you know, struggle and, you know, like you said, I mean, this, this PTSD and this, uh, post separation depression, hits people differently and you know it's a culture shock it's a culture shock when you get out of the military and you walk into the workforce man it's it's tough i mean i've i've quit a lot of jobs and um you know that that's fine you know i i don't think anybody ever gets out of the military and they they get one job and they're you know they're happy with it and you know, don't be scared to quit. Just, you know, you always have a backup plan. Always have that backup plan, you know, and take care of yourself. And, you know, you know, and I think the biggest thing is people need to realize, you know, somebody will talk to you. I'm not just talk to somebody. Phone calls from the veteran collective from kids I've never met, you know, uh, you know, like, hey, can I call you tonight? Absolutely. And you know, man, I'm I'm not I'm I'm rough around the edges and I'm gonna tell them how it is and I'm gonna tell them like, hey, you know, th- this isn't the worst thing that can happen in your life, man. You know, you're good, just keep pushing. You know, it's bad breaks, man. It's you know, you just need to work work that much harder and push through them. Somebody's not just gonna talk to you. If it gets somewhere, someone's going to help you. Like, that's the thing is sometimes I'd say 90% of the things can be talked out. 90%. And, you know, we, with with the group as big as it is, like we, like the 10 of us really do know where the members are. So like, if we get a guy that's having some issues somewhere, we can kind of, talk amongst ourselves and be like, Hey, this one guy that was posting, he's in the same area and try to get them in contact and try to work it out that way. And I, I think it's been helping. I, Uh, I love that site. Thank you. I mean, it's just, you know, it it was an idea, man. It was an idea. And, um, you know, we just, we did it and we ran with it and, you know, probably, probably that site's the only reason I'm still on Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) I hate Facebook, man, but um, just checking on everybody is, you know, it's good. It's good seeing people interacting and, you know, talking, you know, be vulnerable. You know, you're, you're not a tough guy all the time, man. You know, everybody's gone through different things and, 
but thanks for chatting with me, man. That's a lot of really good information. I did not expect the conversation to roll that way, but I'm happy it did because that's what I'm here for. So yeah. I'm going to plug uh, the Veteran Collective at, on my site, and I yeah, encourage encourage everybody to go for it. But uh, everybody, Tad LeVan. Tad is one of the founding members of the Veteran Collective, a group on Facebook, as you heard, about 9,000 plus followers. And I got to tell you, they added me to the admin and moderator site so I could possibly help them out with getting their site out there and maybe putting on some content for their own podcast. And they are an amazing group. There are a lot of amazing groups out there. Please, I encourage you, if you need help, ask for help. If you see someone that needs help and you don't feel comfortable, there's somebody who can help them. Turn them on to groups, but don't let it go unnoticed. I guarantee you that if they are struggling, that you could save their life. The worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to be like, nah, man, you're crazy. But then they're going to really self-evaluate and be like, wow, maybe I need to make sure I'm communicating better. That's the worst thing that's going to happen. But you might save their life. So that's episode four. It was an eye-opening episode. And it really helped me out a lot. I hope it helped you. Normally, I would say at the end of my show, I'm probably wrong. But then again, so are you. But in this one, I think I'm pretty right. Listen next time. Every payday, 1st and 15th. I went by your house, what a big mistake. And just compromise It's the chance of your life
Of your life. 